Are you also tired of one-size-fits-all weight loss plans? Meet Noom, the personalized solution that meets you where you are. Noom is able to understand your unique needs, from dietary restrictions to medical concerns. Unlike restrictive programs, Noom embraces your lifestyle and choices. Discover a sustainable approach to weight loss, tailored just for you. Honestly, Noom felt like it was made for me. It's not just about what I eat. It's about understanding why. With Noom, I've learned so much about myself and built healthier habits that stick. It's all about progress, not perfection. Say goodbye to restrictive diets and experience the Noom app for yourself with personalized lessons and expert coaching. Noom's psychology and biology-based approach has helped over 5.2 million people achieve their goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Do you want to learn how to manage your own investments? Are you ready to stop paying investment management fees and start building wealth? The DIY Investing Podcast is dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, and resources you need to be a better investor. Learn how to make investments through the use of fundamental analysis, mental models, and business management insights. Now, here's your host, value investing expert, Trey Henninger. Hello and welcome to episode three of the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Henniger and I'm your host. Today's episode, we'll be focusing on fundamental analysis, one of the key tools that value investors have when valuing a company for potential investment. In particular, we'll be doing a deep dive on stock-based compensation expense. This is also known as equity compensation, stock options, or share-based executive compensation. The outline for today's show will be as follows. First, I will give a little bit of background into the history of stock-based compensation expense, where they are used, and how the accounting works. Second, I'll discuss how stock-based compensation is accounted for in U.S. GAAP accounting, international accounting, and U.S. non-GAAP earnings. Third, we'll discuss some examples of companies which abuse non-GAAP earnings to pretend that stock-based compensation expense is in fact not an expense. Finally, we'll summarize what we've learned and provide some actionable advice for you to use in your fundamental analysis. Let's begin with the background of stock-based compensation. Before the 1900s, most companies were managed and run by their owners either as a family business or at least overseen by the major shareholder. However, beginning in the early 1900s, professional company managers arose, which began to run businesses without being a major owner of the business. They might own little to no shares in the underlying company, which they were managing as a CEO. Therefore, the idea of stock-based compensation arose. Initially in the form of options, company managers were granted the ability to buy stock in the company and have an equity stake. This gave them an incentive to work for the long-term benefit of the company's owners. Precisely because they were now themselves an owner in the company. A little bit of an aside. 
Never forget the power of incentives. It's one of the most impactful mental models. So by the 1950s, stock options were growing in popularity and were starting to be used as a key component of long-term incentive programs. In the 1960s, a new form of stock-based compensation was created in the form of restricted stock. Restricted stock then gained popularity from the 60s through to the 80s because the stock market was in a secular bear market. Stock options only have value if stock prices are increasing, so they needed a form of compensation that wasn't restricted to increasing stock prices. That's what the point of the restricted stock was for. However, by the 1990s, stock options became all the rage again. Stock options were a key component by which tech companies or tech startups would compensate employees in Silicon Valley. Stock options were essentially a ticket to becoming an instant millionaire if your company could successfully IPO at a high price. There was one big kicker, though. When a company paid their employees or executives with stock options or restricted stock in the 1990s, they didn't have to report that payment as an expense on their income statements. This way, a company could be continuously diluting the other shareholders of the company by issuing massive amounts of stock, but could hide the fact that this was impacting the long-term profitability of the company from the perspective of the other shareholders. As we all know, the stock market crashed in 2000, leading to some diminished use of stock options in the early 2000s as the markets reached their low following the tech bubble. Then, in 2005, the rules changed. Now, companies had to report stock-based compensation as an expense on their annual income statements that they released to the public. All of a sudden, a massive light was shined upon this practice of covering up what is a real expense. So that leads us into the second section of our podcast. We need to discuss how stock-based compensation is accounted for in U.S. GAAP accounting, international accounting, and U.S. non-GAAP earnings. Let's begin with some terminology, because you need to understand these details to really grasp what I'm talking about. U.S. GAAP accounting stands for United States Generally Accepted Accounting Principles, or GAAP for short. Meanwhile, the international version of this is the IFRS, or International Financial Reporting Standards. The third type of reporting earnings that you're going to see on U.S. companies are what's called non-GAAP, which essentially are just not based upon the, quote, generally accepted accounting principles. That should be a major red flag for you there. Why would companies want to report earnings that aren't based upon what's generally accepted? The answer, like most things, is complicated, as there are some legitimate uses for non-GAAP accounting, so that management can give shareholders a greater insight into the true underlying earnings capability of a company. This is really important for certain types of businesses like real estate investment trusts, which have their own type of reporting standards, or insurance companies, which report earnings in a different way due to the mechanisms of float and how you manage to pay for insurance and how those expenses add up. However, for most companies, using gap accounting should be the standard baseline. 
You see, not every management is so altruistic such as to use their non-GAAP accounting purely as a means to inform their shareholders in a way that benefits them. In fact, it's become quite common to use non-GAAP to report earnings which are essentially fake to shareholders, but then publicize this as a success. One of the key areas where this occurs is in stock-based compensation. As you'll see, though, not even the U.S. GAAP standards are perfect. Let's look at a comparison between how U.S. GAAP standards and the International Financial Reporting Standards compare when discussing stock-based compensation in employee stock purchase plans. I'm going to quote an RSM white paper on the differences between these two accounting measures. Quote, A major difference between U.S. GAAP accounting and IFRS accounting is that all employee share purchase plans are considered compensatory and within the scope of the share-based payment guidance. By IFRS, while under GAAP, an employee share purchase plan that meets certain criteria is not considered compensatory. End quote. So in this case, compensation... You know, they're not considering these employee share purchase plans as compensation. Also, a little piece on the quote that I gave there. The part that was a quote was specifically, all employee share purchase plans are considered compensatory and within the scope of the share-based payment guidance. That was for the IFRS. And then the quote for the gap was, an employee share purchase plan that meets certain criteria is not considered compensatory. End quote. So, as you can see, Even GAAP accounting fails to properly equate stock-based compensation as an expense in all categories. However, it is much better than non-GAAP accounting in this area. To quote a PwC white paper on stock-based compensation, for reference, PwC is a major accounting firm. This quote is going to skip some words and sentences which are not useful for our current discussion, but it still takes the overall grasp from their white paper. So, quote, A company's management may use a non-GAAP financial measure that excludes the effect of stock-based compensation. The discussion of a company's performance should address significant trends variability of earnings, and changes in significant components of revenues and expenses. Given the differences between stock-based compensation and other expenses, management should determine if investors would be well served by including transparent disclosure of the amount of expense associated with stock-based compensation awards and the reasons why such amounts fluctuated from period to period, end quote. So as you can see, companies are certainly allowed to present non-GAAP accounting. There's nothing bad by the fact that they're doing non-GAAP accounting on its own. But they need to make sure that by doing so, it is done in the interest of serving investors well. I'm personally not convinced that that is the case for all companies when it comes to stock-based compensation. So that brings us to our third section. Examples of companies which abuse stock-based compensation to misrepresent their earnings capacity to investors. So I've got three examples for you today. First, let's discuss Twitter. 
Everyone has heard of Twitter. They're massive. They're one of the most famous tech companies right now. Um, they're having, you know, these growing user bases uh, and all that. But when you're evaluating a company, you can't look at just the story surrounding the company. Many companies that are quite successful in helping users are not actually successful in making their investors rich. As a value investor, you're trying to build wealth with your investments. So you need to first look at making sure that your investments are actually causing you to build wealth. So let's look at Twitter's most recent quarterly earnings press release dated April 26, 2017. They report first quarter 2017 non-GAAP positive earnings of $82 million or 11 cents per share. However, since they're required to also report earnings based upon GAAP, under GAAP standards, they report a loss of $62 million or a negative $0.09 per share loss. That's a huge difference. $144 million in difference. If you're a shareholder, that difference matters. If you own Twitter stock right now, that difference should concern you greatly. Now, if you go based upon the company's preferred metric, they're making a profit. But if you actually use accepted accounting principles, they're losing millions of dollars each quarter. Now, there's actually some more information available in that report. They also report that they expect stock-based compensation to be approximately $120 million in the second quarter of 2017. If we make the assumption, and it is an assumption, that this was the same cost in the first quarter, then stock-based compensation makes up 83% of the $144 million difference between their two reported figures. This is staggering. So you have a company who is claiming to be profitable. They're saying, hey, we made $11, 11 cents per share in profit. You know, that's a, you know, make a profitable company is a first threshold you want to have when considering for an investment. So, okay, hey, Twitter's profitable. We should consider them for an investment. But when you dig down into the numbers and you look at the fact that they are reporting a $144 million difference between their non-GAAP earnings and their GAAP losses, and $120 million of this could be due to stock-based compensation, you need to be concerned. Stock-based compensation is a real expense. If you're a shareholder, that is affecting you, okay? So let's look at a second example, salesforce.com. In their most recent earnings report press release, salesforce.com had this press release dated February 28th, 2017. They report earnings for fiscal fourth quarter 2017 of 28 cents per share on a non-GAAP basis. But they also report a loss of 7 cents per share on a GAAP basis. They then predict that for their next quarter to have a stock-based compensation expense of 32 cents per share. Again, this is almost the exact same issue as Twitter. Almost the entire difference between their supposed profit and their actual losses 
is stock-based compensation expense. If you take Salesforce.com at their word and that they are making a profit, you are going to lose money. Your, your investments are not going to reflect the returns you would expect based upon the reported earnings of the management. And this is solely, well, not solely, but it's almost entirely due to the stock-based compensation expense, which management does not consider a true expense. And to be fair, it's not costing them cash. They're not having to pay cash in order to provide this benefit to their employees. But what they are doing is they're taking the money from you, the stockholder, by providing additional shares to their employees. And that's diluting your ownership. That is a very real expense for you, even if it's not a major expense for management. So you really need to take treat this as a red flag when you see this in a company's report. So a third example is Workday Incorporated. They're a software as a service company. In their most recent press release for earnings dated February 27th, 2017, they report earnings for f- the full year uh, full-year earnings for the fiscal year of 2017 of positive 12 cents per share on a non-GAAP basis. But they also report a loss of $2.06 per share on a GAAP basis. Uh, let me repeat that. That's 12 cents per share positive on a non-GAAP basis, but a whole $2.06 per share loss on a GAAP basis. This is a gigantic difference. In fact, they go into more detail to show you how much they're manipulating the earnings. They show you that they report they have a share-based compensation expense of $378 million last year. How can they possibly behave like that's not a real expense? I can guarantee you that the employees certainly consider it real compensation. So if the employees consider it real compensation... Why does the management not consider it a real expense? This is the problem with the divergence between management not um, not basing their compensation and basing their management scheme off of what really affects shareholders. You need to treat the dilution of your share ownership as a real expense in your investments. And you should avoid companies that have this going on over and over again. So these examples illustrate a trend which is especially concerning. Stock prices in the stock market are already at highs which mirror the dot-com bubble of the late 1990s. In addition, we're once again seeing the trend of tech companies using stock-based compensation to hide the fact that they don't make any money. Don't let this fool you. So let's conclude by highlighting two companies which used to misrepresent their earnings by claiming that stock-based compensation was not an expense, but who now admit that it is an expense. In particular, we're talking about Facebook and Amazon. You've heard of these companies Facebook has over a billion users now, and Amazon is the leading e-commerce company in America. So these are two of the largest tech companies today. 
This quote comes from an article on Investors.com titled Amazon, Facebook Admits Stock Compensation is a Normal Cost. Quote, For more than a decade, technology companies doled out heaps of stock to recruit top talent, then pretended this wasn't a normal part of doing business by reporting profit numbers that subtracted this cost. That's changing as the industry grows up and responds to pressure from regulators and investors. Amazon.com, ticker AMZN, started breaking out stock-based compensation in the results of its different businesses in the first quarter. This is the way we now evaluate our business performance and manage our operations. In the words of Chief Financial Officer Brian Olsavasky when he told analysts after the earnings report last week. Facebook, Chief Financial Officer David Werner, had a similar message. From now on, he said, he'll talk about the social network's results and other metrics based upon U.S. standards known as Generally Accepted Accounting Principles, or GAAP, which include equity-based pay costs instead of a mix of GAAP and non-GAAP numbers. Quote, we view it as a real expense, he said, end quote. So, why are Facebook and Amazon changing this practice now? It's because they have actually started to make real profits. Real, honest, true profits that don't require this sort of manipulation of the reported profit numbers. So it's interesting that this is the reason that they're now doing this because it should raise an extra red flag in your mind when you see this reporting practice of reporting stock-based compensation as a non-GAAP expense. So if the companies that tend to do this aren't making true profits, then you should be extra concerned when you see it, because that means that the company that you're investigating might not actually be making real profits. You know, when you pay employees with a combination of benefits um, and, you know, salary and, you know, vacation, and you have stock-based compensation as part of that, that compensation is part of why those employees choose to work at these companies. It is an integral part that of the way that tech companies pay their employees. And so when you're paying your employees, that's truly and honestly an expense. It's an expense that comes out of the pocket of the owners of the corporation, which are the shareholders. And you, the listener, as a value investor, need to take that into account because when you pay your employees, that's an expense out of your pocket. Whether you use cash or stock, it's still an expense. So I want to end this section on a quote from the 1998 Berkshire Hathaway shareholder letter by Warren Buffett. Quote, A few years ago, we asked three questions to which we have not yet received an answer. If options aren't a form of compensation, what are they? If compensation isn't an expense, what is it? And if expenses shouldn't go into the calculation of earnings, 
Where in the world should they grow? End quote. So again, this is like saying that the salary that you pay your employees is not an expense. Or, you know, the health care benefits that you offer your employees is not an expense. If it's not an expense, what in the world is it? There's nothing else it could be. It's clearly an expense. It's something that you are compensating someone else for the actions they are taking to help your business. That, by definition, is an expense. So in summary, stock-based compensation is most definitely a real expense from the perspective of a shareholder. As a value investor, it is your job to investigate the numbers that a company reports for any possible manipulation of earnings, which might hide the real earnings capability of the company. Stock-based compensation in all of its forms is one of the key areas that you should focus on. If a company is paying its employees in stock, then more shares will exist at the end of the year, which means all future profits of the company will be split amongst more shares. This is bad for you as a shareholder. In this situation, you are automatically being diluted in your ownership position of the company. At a minimum, if a company is paying their employees or executives with share-based compensation, you want them to be repurchasing shares each year to offset this dilution. This practice, at least, forces a company to recognize that paying employees in stock is a real expense. If by following this um, procedure, by following this guideline, you're buying less tech companies, that's probably good for your investment portfolio. Most tech companies, until they're well-established, have, a, have a, a really strong moat that allows them to make high earnings, should not be owned by the average investor. They shouldn't even be owned by the average institutional investor. Ideally, you would only own companies that refuse to compensate their employees or executives with stock-based compensation. Unfortunately, companies like that are rare, and if you want to own the best companies in the world, you'll have to take stock-based compensation into account. Just make sure that you aren't fooled by any management who argues that stock-based compensation is not a true expense. So your action step for today, pull up the most recent earnings reports by the companies that you own. Check to see that they say either about share-based compensation, check to see what they say either about share-based compensation or check to see if there's a large gap between reported non-gap earnings and gap earnings. Take it as a major red flag if you see such a gap and assess whether you should still own that company. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you liked this content and found it valuable, please subscribe. You can also sign up for my email email mailing list at DIYinvesting.org to be kept up to date with all of the new content I'm producing, both with video, blog, and podcasting. If you'd like to find the show notes, you can find them at DIYinvesting.org slash episode three. 
That's DIYinvesting.org slash episode three. Thank you once again for listening to the DIY Investing Podcast. I appreciate your support. Thank you for listening to the DIY Investing Podcast. Please visit our website and subscribe to our email list at DIYinvesting.org for guides, videos, and resources to help make you a better investor. The DIY Investing Podcast is presented for general informational and entertainment purposes only. I have not considered your specific situation or risk profile, and I have not provided investment advice. The information presented on the DIY Investing Podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The views and opinions expressed on the DIY Investing Podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's host or sponsors. DIY Investing, its producers, sponsors, and host, Trey Henniger, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based upon information or viewpoints presented on the DIY Investing Podcast.